Father, thank you so much that you looked upon the likes of us. And though depraved and wicked and filled with sin, you have forgiven us and you have saved us. God, I pray that you would draw us close to you during this time. During this time of worship and during this time of being in your word and during this time of communion as well. And Lord, I pray for your help and your enablement as I lead your people. That you would just speak through me. That you would guide me through these passages. That you would help draw to the surface just the truths you want your people to hear and think on and remember. So go before us now, prepare our hearts, and may the word which you promise will never return void change us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You're a judgmental hater. You're an intolerant bigot, holier than thou. Holy roller, religious nut job, Bible thumper, fundamentalist, spiritual snob. You're a religious extremist. There is a vast array of derogatory names and labels that have been and are given to Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, God's children. Lest we forget the world has never liked Christians and still doesn't like Christians. The world has never been a fan of believers in Jesus Christ. And this world has always hated true children of God. Yes, hated them. Jesus wanted you, his followers, to remember this. See, he told his followers in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would what? Love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, what does the world do? It hates you. Now, no one likes to be called names. Not myself, not you. Names are hurtful. They're demeaning. They're discouraging. You know, when a parent has a child who's been bullied at school or bullied in the neighborhood and they've been called names, a parent does a couple things. A couple things they do is the parent will reassure the child that those names aren't true. Secondly, the parent will encourage them with names that are true. Terms of endearment. Terms that are special, just between them. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father does with His children. See, God wants you to disregard how the world labels you and what this culture calls you. And He wants you to keep your heads up. Because some of you have been walking around shamed that you're a child of God, ashamed that you're a Christian, and hopefully nobody will find out because they might treat me badly. And he wants you to know there is no shame in being a child of God, that you are precious in the eyes of your maker, your heavenly father. And while the world is belittling you, God is going to label you with terms of endearment and names of dignity and these precious names that are reserved. For you, his child, alone. And that's what we see in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. As you turn into 1 Peter, understand that God is going to make a stark contrast. A contrast between the people of the world and his people. 
We saw last week in verse 7 and 8 that those who do not believe, disbelievers, unbelievers, non-believers, reject God. They reject the very cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. And, and then Jesus becomes a rock of stumbling and offense. And they stumble because they are disobedient. And to this doom, they were appointed. And God says, it's not doom and gloom for you, child of God. Pick your head up. Look what he says in, Second Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This is what God says about you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For what you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what God wants to teach you this morning is this. That you need to embrace your true identity. No matter what the world calls you, no matter what the culture calls you, it doesn't matter. God is saying, I want you to understand who you are in my eyes. God has some very special labels of love just for you. These titles of distinction just for you. And many of these labels that he's going to use in this passage are parallel description of God's chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament. Taken from Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He spoke that to Israel. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the, all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now I want you to understand the church hasn't assumed the position of Israel. God isn't finished with Israel. There are these grand and incredible, precious covenant promises to his people, Israel, yet to be fulfilled. The church today, though, Christians, are God's special instrument on this earth. The first label of love, title of distinction, is this. You are a chosen race. That's what you are. So, in other words, this is present tense. You are this. God is declaring it. It's not that you will be this. It's not that we hope to be this. You actually are right now a chosen race of God. You've been selected by God, chosen. You've been elected by God, chosen. You have been predestined by God, chosen. Peter reminded them and us of this in the very first verse in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Who are what? Chosen. That's what you are. You're chosen. The grand listing of spiritual blessings recorded in Ephesians chapter 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Chosen, predestined. Again in Romans 8, 29 and following. Those whom he foreknew he also predestined. Later in verse 30 he also called. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith and truth. It was for this he called you through the gospel. You have been chosen. You have been elected. You have been predestined. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I what? I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. 
Later on, verse 19, we read earlier, he chose you out of this world. So first of all, all glory goes to God. It is not by you, not by me, that we go to heaven. It is all of God. That truly is amazing grace. I want you to understand, I would have never found my way to God unless he first found his way to me. And you would have never found your way to God unless he called you. Unless he took the blinders off your eyes and let you see. Unless he opened up your heart and drew you to himself. You would have never come. And you may say, well, I don't understand this predestination and election thing. And, and, and yet, what, where's our responsibility? I thought I prayed and I thought I received Christ. Yes, you did. But this says God chose and this says God predestined. Yes, he did. Explain that. I'm not part of the Trinity. There's no opening in it either, friends. It's, it's beyond us. All, all we know is that the front of the gate of heaven says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, that means me, I'm calling. And I go through the gates of heaven and I look back and it says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Two, it's an antinomy of reason, two parallel truths that run side by side and never contradict. And only God can explain it. He says, you're a chosen race. Now get this. We are our own race. We're the Christian race. And at times we experience racism as Christians. Taunted by this world, mocked by this world, ridiculed by this world, hated by this world, persecuted by this world. There is such a thing as Christian racism. But I want you to understand something about the Christian race. It's so beautiful. The race that we are a part of, the Christian race is not based on color. It transcends color. The Christian race is not based on ethnicity. It transcends ethnicity. It's not based on language. It transcends language. It's not based on nationality. It transcends nationality. What is this Christian race? Revelation 5, 9. You were slain. That's the Lord Jesus. Purchased for God with your blood. Men from what? Say it with me. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The Christian race transcends tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. We are brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of backgrounds. We are the Christian race. Revelation 7, 9. I look, behold, a great multitude. No one could count. There's a lot of us. Every nation, all tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is the Christian race. The Christian race is based on our spiritual birth. You were born again. When you were born again, you were born into the family of God. And we share the same spiritual heritage. Do you know what this does? This shouts of unity for all believers in Jesus Christ. That's what it shouts of. We have far more in common than we have different. That's why God wants us to stick together and not attack one another and build one another up because we are the same race. We are the Christian race. We have a common enemy and we are not each other's enemy. That's why we are to strive for unity as a race of believers. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in what? In unity. Oh, it's so good. So, so pleasant. Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17, 21. 
praying to the Father that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Listen carefully. You caused this unity. You attacked your brothers and sisters in Christ. You hurt the cause of Christ, and you jeopardized the salvation of souls. That's what disunity does. When you cause disunity among the people of God and you attack the people of God, you go against the very prayer of the Savior himself. The early church needed to learn this, as well as the present church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Similar Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know what unity takes? He tells us in that passage. It takes humility and gentleness, and patience, and tolerance, love, and diligence. It means you got to work at it. And that's what God wants out of your life, and that's what God out wants out of my life, not attacking each other. He wants humility. People who don't like unity are proud. They're arrogant. He wants gentleness. People who don't want unity are harsh. And mean-spirited. He wants patience. People who don't want unity want it now. There's no patience with people. People who don't want unity show, show no tolerance toward other believers in Jesus Christ. A lack of love. And they don't work at it because they don't want to work at it. The words of Augustine, an early church father, are very, very good at this point. In essentials, unity. We're, we're talking about doctrinal distinctions not going off of the word of the living God. Letting the word of God be the anchor. Not political correctness. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, what? Liberty. You can agree to disagree on some things. In all things, charity. And boy, what a joy there is in unity. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Paul writes, make my joy complete. How, how can you complete the Apostle Paul's joy overseeing all of these churches by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose? It's called unity. And it's probably pretty important for us to remember God loves unity and on the same time, the flip side of the coin, God hates those who cause disunity. In Proverbs 16, his top seven most hated sins are listed. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. The last one he lists is this, one who spreads strife among brothers. Do not cause disunity among brothers. The people of God. Embrace your identity. You're a chosen race. God says, I don't care what the world calls you. You are my chosen race. Keep your head high. Secondly, you are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. 
True, some Christians are a royal pain in the you-know-where backside. But, but, but you're royalty. We, and we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the soon-and-coming king. 1 Timothy 6, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he was the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you serve. He's the triumphant King of kings. Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Nobody's overcoming Jesus Christ. Nobody. He's the conquering, ruling king of kings. Revelation 19, 15 through 16. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. You belong to royalty. It's who you are. Not only do you belong to him, you will reign with him. You need to get this child of God. Daniel 7, 27, it was prophesied. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given, listen, to the people of the saints of the highest one. All the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to you. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Revelation 1, 6, he made us to be a kingdom. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, for you, that is Jesus, who were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and say it with me, and they will reign upon the earth. Listen to this. Do you really think it matters what the people of this world call you when one day you will be ruling and reigning over this world? Do you really think it matters what they call you, what they label you? One day soon you will be ruling and reigning over this entire world with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, perspective, people, keep it in perspective. You're a royal priesthood. Oh, I just spit all over my iPad. Sheesh. I got excited, man. Sheesh. The problem with an iPad, see, you'd have pages. You can flip them. The spit goes with you know, the iPad. I got to wipe the thing. Anyway, you're a royal priesthood. That's what God says. Last week in verse 5, he said you were holy priests. 1 Peter 2, 5. You're being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This week, you're not just a holy priest, you're a royal priest. It means you're a representative of God. You're a priest. You're a representative for God. You're a priest. You have direct access to God, privileged as a priest through the high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to review what we learned last week so that we remember, and if you weren't here, that you get this. Priests had a responsibility to offer sacrifices on the altar, the, rest, the sacrificed animals. We no longer do that. Jesus died for us. What do we sacrifice? What do we offer as priests? Let me give them to you. We offer our heart. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. So you come to God 
before God with humility and brokenness, not in arrogance, not in proud pride. We offer our bodies, Romans 12.1. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You and I are not our own. We've been bought with a price. These bodies are God's. We offer them back to him for holy living. We offer him our praise, Hebrews 13.15. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to our God. That is the fruit of lips and give thanks to his name. We sing his praise. We testify of his greatness. We share with others the greatness of our God. We praise him. That's what a priest does. We offer our good works, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect doing good and sharing for so, with such sacrifices. God is pleased. You give to other people. You give of your time. You give of your money. You give of your effort. You sacrifice. That's what God says a good priest does. You offer up your converts. What's that? The souls of men and women, boys and girls. Romans 15, 16, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, Paul writes, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We offer our love, Ephesians 5, 2, just as, just as the Lord. He walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And lastly, we offer our prayers. Revelation 8, 3 through 4 talks about this. An angel came, stood before the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which are before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. A good priest offers up his heart, offer up your heart, offers up his body, offers up his praise, his good works, his converts, his love, and his prayers. Be a holy priest and be a royal priest. You're a chosen race. You're a holy priesthood. You're also a holy nation. You're a holy nation. Verse 9. Holy meaning God has separated you from the world. Remember, he chose you out of the world. And he has sanctified you, set you apart for himself. You at one time were living for yourself and living in the sin of the world and just indulging all of the sin you could imagine. And God is saying, I'm saving you from that cesspool. And I'm cleaning you up. I'm saving you. I'm forgiving you. I'm redeeming you from the cesspool of this world. And I am going to make you my own clean, forgiven, holy, adopted child. That's what God did with you. You're a holy nation. Now, it's amazing here. We're, we're our own race, the Christian race. We are our own nation, the Christian nation. And I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the redeemed people of God. Now, now I, I love our nation. I love the good old U.S. of A., although I find myself loving it less and less lately. I, I, I love Okay, I, I love this nation, but I love the nation of God's people much more than I love this nation. I, I am much more proud of my heavenly citizenship than I am of the United States citizenship. And don't get me wrong, I count myself as a patriot. Right now, today, you know, I've got my patriotic flag bunting over my door. That's what you'll see at my house. It's been up there since July 4th weekend. I, I'm a patriot, but first and foremost, I'm a citizen of heaven. And that's what matters most. And some of us get that confused. 
We think we are first and foremost citizens of the U.S. of A. No, you are not. You are not. You are first and foremost a citizen of heaven if you know Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20. Read it with me. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also... we. Oh, I messed it up. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say our citizenship is in the USA, of which we eagerly await the next election of a president. It does not say that. It does not say that. It says, I'm a citizen of heaven, and I'm waiting for a Savior. He's not going to be elected. He's coming regardless. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ephesians 2.19, similar. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. Sometimes we feel like that in this world because we are. But you are fellow citizens with who? The saints and are of God's household. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen race. You're God's prized possession. Look at verse 9. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, you're a people for God's own possession. Keep your head up, God is saying. I don't care what this world calls you. I don't care what this culture labels you. You're my prized possession. You're you're your own race, the Christian race. You're your own nation, God's nation. You're your own people, Jesus' people. Jesus' people. Cue the picture. Okay, there we go. Okay, you're not really that. We don't have the bus, but anyway. We are God's own possession. You know what it means to be possessed by God? It means he bought you. It means he purchased you. It means he redeemed you with a price. He acquired you with a very, very large price. Listen carefully. It doesn't matter if the world thinks you're worthless. God values you more than the worth of this world. It doesn't matter if this world thinks you're worthless. God values you more than the worth of this world. There is nothing more precious than God's own son. Nothing more costly than the life of the perfect, sinless Second person of the Trinity, God himself becoming a man to die on the cross for you so that you could be redeemed and purchased out of the sewer of this world, the cesspool of this world, and saved. That's what God did with you, and that's what God did with me. Peter's already reminded us of this in chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Peter knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Acts 20, 28, he purchased us with his own blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you were bought with a price. Revelation 7, 9, they sang a new song, Worthy are you, Lord, to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and nation. We are the blood-bought people of God. I want you to get this. We are the chosen race. 
we are the royal priesthood. We are the holy nation and we are God's prized possession. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a new song out by Chris Tomlin at the cross, Love Ran Red. It goes like this. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. You were bought with a price. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the price that you paid for our souls. And we ask, Lord, that we would not soon forget what you have done on our behalf. Father, as we prepare to take communion right now, we know that your word tells us that our hearts must be prepared, that we are to examine ourselves lest we face judgment by you. And so we do that now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you right now to take a moment with God and make your heart right with him. Maybe there's been certain attitudes that have been wrong. Maybe you've attacked other believers in Jesus Christ and have not been a unifying force, but someone who's caused division. Confess that sin to God right now. Give him praise for his sacrifice, his love. Maybe ask God to forgive you for feeling sorry for yourself. You've been looking too much in the mirror instead of at him and who he is and what he's done and how he sees you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you've never come to faith in Jesus. I want to invite you right now to call out to the Lord in faith. You may say, what do I do, Scott? I know I need God in my life. I know I need forgiveness. Then tell him that. Use words like these right now in the quietness of your heart to the Lord. God, I need you. I'm so tired of messing up my life. Please forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Would you please forgive me and please save me? I pray this in Jesus' name.